everyone. Welcome to another episode of FinTech Walkabout. I'm Will from AppTap, and I'm joined with uh, joined by Alistair Smith today. Uh, Alistair, it'd be great if we could just get a very quick intro from you, kind of your history through the CMA and the FCA, and then PSR, the works, really. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm an economist. I spent most of my career in universities. But uh, I then spent six years at the Competition Commission CMA, mm -hmm. where I chaired the CMA's market investigation into, into retail banking, which pushed open banking forward. But open banking, um, implementation of open banking was probably the biggest thing that the CMA's retail banking investigation did. And since then, I've spent three years at the payment systems regulator. Not working on open banking, working on, on other things, although perhaps we'll talk about payments because uh, I think future developments in payments is one of the most interesting areas where it's, for, where it's really going to be quite interesting to see what role open banking plays in, in the development of payments in future. Definitely. I think the, the kind of purpose of, of what we're doing with this podcast series is around just how open banking came through from a regulatory perspective, what the kind of you know, third parties, what banks, what fintechs are going to do with it and, and where it's going to go. So I guess just starting at the, the very baseline, what was that, I guess, focus from a retail banking kind of supervision perspective? What did those discussions look like? I think the central issue that we were concerned about to the CMA was that the market for banking, both for small businesses and for personal customers with their current accounts, wasn't working the way a competitive market should be working. Mm. So small businesses felt that they were very tied to their current banking provider because the banking provider knew about them and, and it was very hard to switch away from uh, or to look, for example, for business loans from other providers. Um, and in the case of personal current accounts, again, customers seem to be uh, very reluctant to move from their current, from their present current account provider. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's very hard for banking customers to make intelligent decisions about whether it was sensible to move to a different provider. Mm. You know, in extreme cases, if you knew that you had very large balances in your current account, then there was one bank that did a lot of advertising about the rate of interest they paid on their current sure. account, and they got some, some switchers. Uh, very hard for people with overdrafts to know whether they'd get a better deal mm. with another banking provider or, or how to go that. And the, the result of that was that in, uh, that in current account banking, a huge amount of cross-subsidies in the sense that, um, not that anybody's not that customers were making a loss for banks, but, but a lot, lot of customers were getting banking for essentially for free. Yeah. And the banks were, and actually are, still covering their costs by earning interest on the balances of people who held large current account balances and on overdraft charges, especially unarranged overdraft charges, and increasingly on, um, on the card fees that banks make from... Yeah the use of debit cards. So any market in which a minority of customers or a minority of servers are carrying almost all of the, the costs of the system 
is not a very competitive market and and it's a market in which you you think customers bank customers ought to to get a better deal by shopping around for better products than on arranged overdrafts and merchants might do better to shop around yeah if there are other ways of making electronic payments other than using cards cpa yeah that's very interesting i think from day one from an app app perspective we've always been about just you know we're looking at comparison and switching within all of these different industries and it's that competition piece that I think really shown through for us is, is how are we putting the user in the middle of this conversation as opposed to you know a bank or a merchant which I thought was maybe something that's that's fallen out of open banking or is that kind of a core consideration you know not just financial institutions but other uh, tools or products and services that customers use well we were of course focused on banking the same problem the same issues arise in other sectors but i think we felt that they were particularly difficult mm. in in the case of of banking because if you want to if you want to shop around for energy suppliers I mean, you can dig out your you electricity know. bill or your gas bill yeah. and you know how much energy you're using if you if you have the right kind of tools, yeah. you know what time, how much you're using in off-peak times and, sure. and so on. If you've got a mobile phone, you know the mix between calls, data, and, yeah. and, and other stuff. And it's relatively easy, to, um, not very easy, but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the, in, in principle comparisons, comparisons can be, you know, somebody can, can, sit, can yeah. sit down and and on the back of an end, they will do some some comparisons. Sure. Whereas, with with a current account, the the charges that you're liable to, uh, the interest that you get paid, you know whatever rewards you might get, uh, how much you pay if you go into overdraft, is a very very complicated function yeah. of the details of the, the transactions you do. It's not simply you know data calls overseas use, whatever, sure, it's a yeah. much more complicated thing, quite out. beyond the, the scope of any individual, even a you know, highly numerated individual who can run spreadsheets, mm. can't sit down with the, the bank statement and work out whether there's some other provider who's, whose tariff they don't really know about would, would be better for them than their current provider. Well, it's just layers and layers of this information, right? And I guess yeah, that's... Yeah, it's a sort of combination of a complicated charging structure on the bank side and indeed an opaque charging structure mm. on the, the bank side <laughs> and a very complicated product. Each individual customer has a different customer profile sure. and what they end up paying in charge of earning and interest yeah. is a, which, it's, it's a complicated thing to work out. Which I suppose the Americans and the... So I've spent some time growing up in the US and have seen a little bit of both. I guess the Americans have taken a much more direct approach to, to just charging customers for bank accounts than we have in the UK. But I think what's interesting is that maybe there's more remit, and this is something we'll probably touch on a bit later, for, I guess, commercialising that customer data. But for now, we've recently seen quite a, a, a pretty, well, a massive transition, really, from user-led or screen scraping or, or manual input in terms of that data collection to open banking. What were those kind of core considerations in 
just leading that change or implementing that from the kind of top down, from a regulatory perspective? I think one thing that influenced us very strongly is we looked at an existing tool called My Data that had yep. been developed in, I don't know, 2010, 2012 about, and it was very unfriendly. You need um, yeah. all, all you need to do is I'm probably preaching to the converted here, but you know all you need to do is download a CSV file from your a what? Yeah, what, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, CSVs I've downloaded from my mum is just yeah, uh, and and uh, and then and you know had, you know then send this file to someone else. So, the technical complications of doing that beyond most most ordinary customers, and. This, security implications as well. This, you know, once yeah. you've downloaded your sure. bank data and you're shipping it off to somebody, you've lost, completely lost control over yeah. it. And the alternative of screen scraping involving handing over your, 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 yeah. your password to someone else, thereby probably contravening the, the yeah. conditions Never of, your, your password the conditions of, your, of, of yeah. use of your bank account. So if something goes wrong and you go to your bank and say, well, some fraudster has said, Stolen money from my account, and the bank says, "Did you give me the password, password by any chance?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, um, so when people started talking to us about open banking, and of course, uh, the Singleton report on open banking mm -hmm. predated the CMA's work, uh, but when people started talking to us about open banking, and I should say at least some of the ba the big banks were very enthusiastic about talking to us about open banking. This seemed the contrast between open banking and my data uh, was very eloquent okay. and, and very influential with this. Okay, interesting. So, what, I guess then the big question is what's your view on how open banking is going? How is open banking going? Because I think we get a lot of mixed reports from, well, a number of different players of different sizes throughout Europe saying, well, only 50% or 30%, whatever it is, of people know what open banking means. But then we're seeing different stats around 80, 90% of people have used at least one open banking product. How's it going? Yeah, I, well, I wouldn't pay too much attention to, to how many people know what open banking is, because as you okay. say, yeah. you can use something uh, without knowing its name. Yeah. Uh, uh, so what's really mattered is to what extent is open banking developing useful products. Mm. And uh, I think there are... I'm still very positive about open banking. I think it has the potential to do, to do lots of revolutionary things. I think its development has been slower than we expected. Yeah, hoped. Is that expected or hoped? Because I think well, you know, historically <laughs> we've seen some products that, like credit cards, they've taken their time to come about, and now yeah. they're cemented in. And now we're probably talking about it, right? Payments. We're starting to see those, you know, fizzle out in terms of physical. And then with things like buy now, pay later, crypto, you know, those are going to dissolve. But yeah, is that experience or is it more of a hope? Um, or expected rather, or hoped? Well, I'm not sure the CMA weren't foolish enough to pin a timetable on things. But I thought, uh, my feeling is that we thought that things might develop quite quickly, that this would be, that Open Banking would provide fintechs with their useful tools mm. and these tools could be developed quite quickly and get lots of, of customer acceptance. Yeah. We were very concerned about 
customer customer confidence in the product, yeah. as indeed were fintechs who were very pro, maybe still are, yeah. very pro-regulation, said, yeah, we want enough regulation so that customers can be confident also that this is a safe thing to do. So we were certainly aware that customer adoption might be slow. I think it has gone in absolutely the right directions, but it, the adoption has been quite slow. And I suppose I can't help reflecting on the fact that the thing that particularly sparked the CMA's interest, I, I certainly as an ordinary bank customer haven't seen any evidence mm. of comparison products coming along. Nobody has ever emailed me and saying, are you happy with your current account provider? Yeah. We have a tool that if you give us temporary limited access to your bank account, we'll tell you if you could switch to a different bank account. That was the, the single you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. application that was at the center of the CMA's mind. Now, maybe there are tools like that around, yeah. but what is it now, six, almost six years after the CMA report, yeah. and I, as an ordinary bank customer, haven't been offered a current account comparison tool. So what do you think is kind of causing that friction then? Because, I mean, we've taken some tools in, you know, early days. The response we got from a number of financial institutions was very much, you're kind of cutting us out of the equation, you know, you're removing us from how we interact with the customer and doing something like current account switching is obviously not in their best interest. It's been an expensive exercise for banks. How do we get to somewhere that's a bit more two-sided? There's voices on both sides of the table from fintechs and banks and, and merchants and customers. How do, we, how do we land somewhere that's a bit less friction for a financial institution in that? It's a big question. Yes. <laughs> Give me all the answers. But, yeah. um, well... Obviously, the behavior of banks has got to be looked at very, very carefully. And again, just from the perspective of an ordinary customer, at some point from my bank, which I won't name, I don't think they're any better or worse than anyone else, but at some point they had to get my consent to, to something that I recognized as open banking. To, you know, you know, If you get asked to share your data, you... you yeah. And the, the customer warnings were pretty heavy duty yeah. on, on that. It, it was not an encouragement to say, uh, <laughs> look, there is this underlying technology which has been carefully planned and pretty secure. It was open for, if you hand over your data to anyone else, it's not our responsibility what they do with it, so you yeah. need to be really careful. Pying it off. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, one of the big things the CMA did was compel nine banks to do this, to, to set up open banking. And although some of them were enthusiastic, it would have been very hard to get all the major banks to do it and to do it together without an element of compulsion. Yeah. And we know that behind open banking, there is a commercial threat to the incumbent banks yeah. and that they will respond the way commercial organizations respond um, to threats. Yeah. So I'm sure that's been a factor that the organizations at the heart of the financial system, as far as small businesses or individual customers are concerned, have an ambiguous interest in open banking, and there's always going to be a bit of an uphill yeah. struggle about it's it. It's a bit of a tug of war, really. Yeah. So, looking back then, what would you 
change six years ago to implement you know, maybe a more cohesive <laughs> implementation of acting. Hindsight's twenty twenty, of course. I think that even though in the CMA we thought that we were doing something quite significant, mm. um, we didn't realise quite a big project it was going to be. I was struck yeah. earlier, uh, well, not, I was going to say earlier this year, a few months ago, um, reading a report on the functioning of the Open Bank implementation entity, and uh, there was a staff number in it. The staff number was more than 200. Well, at the time I was working for the payment system regulator, a proper regulator with public profile and a big office and yeah. well not a big office yeah. uh, it turned out to be a bigger yeah. deal than we <laughs> than we thought it was and then I think we thought it was going to be I think that probably sounds eerily familiar for most startups anyway <laughs> just uh taking on a project you're like yeah I can go and do this and next thing you know it's this colossal project so maybe that's just a commentary on my own experiences I don't know but throughout the series we've been talking or we'll be talking to regulators to third parties fintechs banks and so on and you've talked about kind of what got the regulator interested or whetted the appetite early on. What about today? What gets you excited about open banking right now? What's coming? The thing I find most exciting about the current picture, this must be influenced by having spent some time with the PSR, is the potential for open banking to drive a real increase in competition in payments because the payments landscape at the moment have got a very big competition problem sure. and the big competition problem is that retail payments, non-cash retail payments are completely dominated by cards. There are two card systems. Yeah. <laughs> the two card systems don't have to compete for um, the custom of merchants because merchants most merchants have to take cards yeah. if you take cards you've got to take all card or you've got to take the two main brands of cards sure. so the two main brands of cards are not competing with each other for merchants who want for one side of their market we've seen increases in the costs that are paid by merchants for card payments first of all through interchange fees and mm. now through increasing scheme fees now that interchange fees or regulated scheme fees have increased and that's a reflection of the lack of competition sure. and those costs to merchants get passed on uh, to, to customers. Yeah. The PSR is now keen to see interbank payments develop as a real competitor to card payments so that merchants can take payments direct from customers' bank accounts rather than going through the card systems. Now, that's, a, for a number of reasons, a big challenge. Sure. But open banking is one of the things that could make bank-to-bank -bank retail payments a reality. Sure. And, and that, I think, is the most exciting potential in open banking at the moment. And do you think that will come through you know, banks' ownership of that? Or do you think there's still remit for these kind of third parties to slide in with that infrastructure and, and that technology? I think it's essential that third parties come in. Okay. Because one of the problems with the, the lack of competition for the card schemes is that the banks have a huge stake 
in card schemes because <laughs> the, the, a lot of the excess profits yeah. that arise, the excess returns, let's call them, that arise from the lack of competition from merchants and therefore the rise in interchange fees and scheme fees, is that a lot of those returns get passed, get passed back to the issuing banks. So the card schemes do have to compete for issuers, sure. and the issuers make it. So you, when we looked at competition in retail banking, we were concerned that the banks were making most of their profits from the, the interest on current account balances and from overdraft fees. But actually, now the third big source of banks' returns is issuing fees. And some banks, for some banks, card issuing fees is, is the, the largest source of the, the revenue. Mm. So the existing banks, and I don't just mean the, the yeah, traditional yeah, big yeah. ones, yeah. Uh, some of the new banks as well, have a huge stake in card systems. So to get real competition uh, in payment systems from interbank payments, we've got to look to parties other than the banks existing themselves. banks sure. to do it. It's, it depends. It's going to depend but, on third parties. But what's their incentive then, right? Because, I mean, it, we talked about this a little bit earlier around there's, there's all these different people at the table and, or different entities at the table. What's in it for a bank to say, well, oh. you know, is it cheaper? Is it faster? Is it, you know, liable for them? Frankly, there's not much in it for the banks. <laughs> uh, so we all know now what happens when you try and make a, a retail payment uh, or, 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 or you can't make retail payments in, on, in a face-to-face -face store, but when you try to make online retail payments using uh, a payment direct from your bank account, you get heavy-duty warnings from your bank. Sure. You've got your yeah. five questions. Just, are, you <laughs> are you sure you're not being scammed? Are you really sure? And indeed, my bank, I'm sure other banks too, saying, we recommend that you use your card rather than... And you think, there's something weird about this. Yeah. You know, wh why, is, why is my bank saying, don't use me to make your payment, use your Visa debit card yeah. rather than paying from your, your... They have security concerns, and the security sure. concerns are real. That's one of the problems that needs to be solved. Mm. But are we going to look to the banks to solve the security problem of, that currently exists with the frauds on interbank payments? Well, no, their reaction is d d use your card instead. Yeah. And their response to the increasing amount of bank payments fraud has not been very impressive. So uh, that's uh, an indication of why we have to look to third parties. Having a big role if bank-to-bank -bank payments are going to be competitive with card payments and open banking is central. I mean, it's not the only thing. There are, there are a range of issues to be faced sure. to make bank-to-bank -bank payments a reality, a competitive reality. But open banking is the heart of making that yeah. work. A big part of that is the user interface. But there, you know, there are players out there, the Tinks and the True Layers the, of the world, that are starting to drive this change. But then surely we're going to see Visa and MasterCard come in and and implement similar systems, you know, what's to stop them, right, to continue to well, duopolize, I suppose? <laughs> yes, and that's an issue, a big issue now for the competition authorities. Mm. When the banks were forced to sell Vocalink, mm. because it was felt that the bank's ownership of the 
the payments infrastructure was a barrier to competition. Vocalink was sold to MasterCard and the, the decision that uh, I was not involved in, it was made by another part of the CMA. The CMA considered whether it was okay for MasterCard to, to buy Vocalink and there are lots of reasons why it wasn't problematic but one of the reasons why MasterCard was keen to buy Vocalink and they said so publicly yeah. was that the they wanted foothold in interbank payments. And now, I mean, the pay-by-bank products have still you know, to take off. But one of the existing pay-by-bank products is MasterCard's pay-by-bank, which was part of what they bought when they bought Vocalink. So yes, the card systems may well get involved, may well have a big advantage, actually, in the development of bank-to-bank -bank payments because the card systems have the experience of dealing with customer refunds, sure. of dealing with customer guarantees, all of the apparatus behind the, the card systems that, make, that give customers confidence in card payments are the things that interbank payments need to give, to give rise to customer confidence. But if, if one of the big things that interbank payments, open banking offers, is real competition to the card systems, then the card systems having a dominant role in interbank payments becomes part of the problem mm. rather than part of the yeah, solution. Yeah, exactly. But do you think it will then at least spur on some change from a financial institution's perspective, or from a customer's perspective on a of a financial institution? Having these players be so involved in that pay-by-bank experience might be a good thing in the short, medium term to, to kind of drive that adoption. What is that? kind of fairy tale? Well, I think you have to worry about who are the initiators of new services, mm. because often there are first mover advantages, and once you've got a foothold in a market, yeah. it's very hard for other people to come in. They have the, the purchasing power, right, to come in and say, hello, XTPP, you're doing quite well, let's just uh, consume that. We saw Visa tried to do it with Plaid in the US and, and obviously got blocked. What's, you know, I guess it's what's to stop them. What's, what's to stop them are the competition authorities sure. to, uh, to stop them. I think the competi competition authorities now are very sensitive to the fact that in digital markets things move very fast and you have to think ahead when you're thinking about competition problems. In the past, the Competition Commission and then the CMA were very reluctant to make speculative judgments about how markets would develop. So when people said, this merger is all right because there can be free entry into this market, mm -hmm. and if, you know, if we're in a strong, you know, if we create a monopoly and push up our prices, other people can come into the market and compete. Typically, the Competition Commission say, would say, or the CMA would say, well, no, that's, that's a speculative argument. We, we want to look at what's happening now. Mm. But in digital markets, going not just in payments, competition authorities really have to take speculative arguments seriously because you, you're, when you're saying this little payment service that Vocalink has developed doesn't have much of a market, that other people can do the same thing. But the first service... You know, 
the first person who comes along and develops a really viable pay-by-bank service might be in a very strong position. And competition authorities have to weigh. And I think need to be concerned about the pattern which you've just described of the card systems coming along and see when they see a fintech that is, oh, is making a success, <laughs> you make them an offer that they can't refuse. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that might be happening there is uh, that it's in the commercial interests of the card systems to pay well over the odds for the most successful interbank competitors. Take that piece off the table. Yeah. Indeed. Totally makes so a big sense. competition issue there. Sure. What about the other side? So we talked about banks um, and you know, how much is in it for them, but commercialization I think is kind of a taboo topic when it comes to individuals' data. I think there's a lot to be said for how we pass that benefit on to an individual or a customer. Um, do you see a world in which kind of things like premium API brought forward, or you know, what are some other ways in which a bank might kind of organically, let's say, capitalize on this? We're seeing they're getting squeezed in kind of standard payment space. What's their avenue out? Big question. I think I'd be very happy yeah. if you could answer it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, a sort of, I've often thought there's a sort of paradox about open banking, that open banking is about making commercial use of customer data. But it's customer data that has been under the control of the banks. So part of the paradox of open banking is that the existing banks have been sitting on a, a gold mine of information about their customers. They have they've got a ton of information about their customers. Google yeah. and Facebook make huge amounts of money out of data that we give them away for free yeah. and that we don't, we don't think very much about. You know, it must be that the information in my current account is much more commercially valuable Surely. than all the information about my Google searches. You'd, you'd think that. It must be at least as commercial. Why have the banks not been able to commercialize this? Well, answer. This gold mine is... Is that a regulatory thing? Or is that a no, bank thing? Yeah. I think it's a bank... Is that, is that, it's all... Is, this gold mine is, that, is buried in banks' legacy systems. Is that a <laughs> ring fence and kind of... I guess the, the security decoy being thrown around, oh, we can't do that because of security reasons, because we want to keep our customer data, or is there something else? Well, there may be some of that, but I think one of the factors is that the, all this valuable information is locked in banks' legacy IT systems. Yeah. Okay. And, and, <laughs> and they don't have the mining technology to get it out. Mm. So I suppose you're right that one of the, one of the paradoxes about uh, about eyes is that IPIs give third-party providers the tools to get valuable information out of bank systems, but it gives the banks themselves <laughs> a way of getting information out of their systems. Mm, so, yeah. so yes, yeah, they ought they ought to be able to commercialize it, but their record of commercializing their data so far has been uh, spectacularly poor. Yeah, no comment. <laughs> um, so I appreciate we're coming towards the end of our time. What's the, you're currently Commissioner of Scottish Fiscal Commission. What's, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because we've talked a lot about PSR and FCA and CMA. 
What are you up to now? Uh, yes, I, ha I have been on the Scottish Fiscal Commission for the last four years and coming to the end of my term there. Okay. It's absolutely nothing to do with payments. Is it not? <laughs> so maybe you want to stop at that point. Sure. But, but what the Scottish Fiscal Commission does is it oversees the way that the devolution of taxes and expenditure to the Scottish Government uh, operates. Mm. We make the official forecasts for the Scottish economy and that now includes, importantly, the forecasts for how much income tax revenue the Scottish Government is going to, to raise because the income tax system has been largely devolved to Scotland. The Scottish Government sets its own income tax rates and gets the revenue from them. Yeah. The Scottish Government increasingly makes its own social security decisions, not across the whole of the social security system, but across very large parts of it. So we're uh, largely focused on forecasting how uh, Scottish Government's tax revenue and uh, expenditure is going to evolve into the future and what are the budgetary yeah. challenges and opportunities for the Scottish Government. A lot to be done in the tax space using open banking, just to bring it back in. I think there are some cool startups that are like untied doing some really interesting things. If you, if you can just plug them because uh, we get on well as a, as a set of founders. We talked about, I asked a version of this question at the beginning and I'd like to ask it again at the end. Open banking, success or failure, if you had to choose right now? Oh, I'd say success, for sure. It's been slower than... The, or perhaps or now over-optimistic view that we had, sure. but it's gone in absolutely the right direction. Um, it, it's, it's had incidental payoffs, like the delivery of confirmation of pay, mm. uh, which is a sort of spin-off from open banking, not an open banking service, but mm. open banking that may allow yeah. the banks to develop that faster. That's, I think, going to unlock big new developments yeah. and going to be a, a big going to have a, a, a very significant impact on making payments more competitive. This is something that we just can't wait for. You know, we're looking at how do we set someone up with a new energy, broadband, whatever provider, um, being able to implement a variable recurring payment from day one and have the customer very aware as to what's happening and what they're paying for and how they're using the services they're paying for. I think it's going to be extremely powerful. So, you know, just to wrap it up, kind of a two-part question, what comes next for open banking? And if you had to apply the principles of open banking, kind of open data, to another industry, you know, we're kind of seeing things move into open finance with you know, mortgage products, for example, which industry would you pick and why? <laughs> well, let, let, Not a loaded question at no, all. No. <laughs> let, let, let me take the last one first. Sure. Uh, if you're looking for a non, I mean, I, I think open finance has got lots of interesting potential. But if you're looking at a, a sector where uh, customer choice isn't working very well, then surely the energy sector is, is the one. I'm glad to agree. Yeah. I, 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 you know, it, it, it may be that, uh, the, that energy needs a complete rethink mm. of the relationship between the final customer at the end of the chain, the, the primary energy provider at the other end and how that chain works. But for sure, it's not working well at the moment. I think we'll have to bring you back for our energy one later on in the year. Yeah. There's a, probably a whole other 
few hours worth of discussion. Yeah, well, I'm not sure I have anything very constructive to say. But on your first question, the future development of open banking, I think the most exciting thing is uh, the development of bank-to-bank of -bank payments, of interbank retail payments. Open banking is not the only thing that's needed to make that work, but mm. it's absolutely central to making it work. That offers a real revolution in making the whole payment system more competitive. And in a sense that, and so that's the thing that I think is most exciting. And it also takes us back to what was perhaps one of your first, first questions. If you were thinking again about what the CMA did, what would you think about? Well, what we're looking at now is the possibility that open banking, it's not really a, a new payment system, mm. but it might be at the heart of a new retail payment system. Okay. And I think if the, if the CMA had realized that it was launching a new payment system, it might have done some institutional things differently, mm. but I hope it would have embarked on the same Journey. on the same route because I, I think it's been a very positive development. Yeah. Inclined to agree, having tried to build a business around open banking. So Alistair, it's been a, been a real pleasure talking to you and thank you so much for coming down to join us. Well, it's been a happy trip down memory lane for me. Yeah, <laughs> if people want to find you, what's the best route in terms of getting in touch? Oh, they're very welcome to email me. Is there uh, an email you could share? Yeah, it's, it's Alistair M's. Uh, well, the problem about my email address is that, that the, the name Alistair is spelled ten, yeah, ten okay. different ways. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, Alistair M. Smith, one word, at iCloud.com. Perfect. Um, great. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Find us at aptap.co.uk, and we'll be posting this kind of everywhere. So thank you again, Alistair. Pleasure to meet you. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>